Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Um, write this down. Uh, these four words: use, use what you got. Just go ahead and write that down. Use what you got. Can you say that with me too, as you write it down? Use what you got. Yeah, use what you got. Uh, I wanna, as we get into this, you know, last week we were we were able to speak a little bit about the well, a lot. The whole message was on the demoniac, the demoniac of Gadarene, and. He was a man whom we know was demon-possessed. He had a legion of demons, actually, as we learned in Scripture. A man who was not able to control uh, any of it. He he was not able to have any kind of control. And no one was able to control him. He was a madman, is what we would call him. A madman. I don't know if you've ever seen something like this or someone like that, but this man was... Uh, a madman, a man who would inflict injury upon himself, who lived even amongst the dead. We went over all this. A man who was isolated, who was disgraced, and all hope was lost for. That's who he was. But then in an instant, he, as he encounters Jesus this one day, he's made whole instantly. And, and it's a miracle of this story that he's made whole. And and I use that word instantly because it, that's exactly how it happens. It's in this conversation with Christ that immediately, instantly, here is this man made whole and without any training or without any schooling, any time to enter or sign up to any form of discipleship course, this man goes to the surrounding 10 cities and he begins to preach to everyone about all that the Lord had done for him. Did you hear me? No training, no schooling, didn't sign up for any kind of discipleship course, but instantly he was made whole and went to 10 different cities. Everyone say 10 different cities. Not one city or two cities or three cities, but 10 different cities in this area, as we know it, called Decapolis. And he began to tell everyone preached to everyone about what the Lord had done for him. You would have thought as we read that last week and as we get into today's message that this man would have told the Lord, no, Lord. No, Lord, impossible, I can't. There's no way. Think about what are some of the things that he could have said to the Lord. I'm new to this. I mean, I was just minutes ago, I had legions of demons. (laughs) Minutes ago, I was cutting myself, throwing myself in the fire. Minutes ago, um, I wasn't the, norm, the, the, the most sane person. No, Lord, impossible. Could have said so many different things. I don't know what to say or how to say it. Uh, he could have said I was never schooled, specifically in the law. I don't even know it. I don't know it. I don't even know how to teach it. I don't know anything when it comes even to the law. And for all we know, as we study this demoniac of Gadarene, we, he, he's... Most likely a Gentile, because he's from a region of Gentiles. He's, he's a Gentile convert, from what we may know. So think about this, but, but nonetheless, Jesus tells him to go. 
he tells him to go and he sends this man on his way. I, I want you to see this as we read this together real quick. And I hope it resonates with you as it did with me. It stood out to me. I'm going to read, I'm going to go back to last week's message for a moment. And I'm going to read two verses to introduce today's message. And it's verse 19 and verse 20 of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Look at this. The Lord tells him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Verse 19. That's what Jesus tells him. Verse 20. And he departed and he began to proclaim in the capitalist all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. I know there's two verses. Those two verses stood out to me. Those two verses really touched my heart. Um, I'll, I'll open it up just because I like to do that. Did you notice anything in these two verses? Compassion. Anyone else catch anything else in these two verses? They can put them back up there again. Sorry? Gratefulness? Teach them what Jesus had done for him. Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. That's verse 19. Verse 20, he goes on, he says, And he departs and begins to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. And all marveled. This is a very interesting part of this passage because if you read these two verses, I want you to notice something. The Lord never does, does not tell him to go to the capitalists. Never does the Lord tell this man to go to the capitalists. The, these, are, these are 10 cities as we know. And, and this man goes to these 10 nearby cities and he begins to proclaim Jesus and all of his works to these 10 cities. But the Lord, when you read verse 19 and you read verse 20, the Lord just tells him what? Go home. <laughs> just, hey, you're well, you're good. You could be regular now. You could be normal now. Go tell your friends and your family who lives with you at your house. Go home. Go to your family. Go to your friends and let them and let them see and hear my good works in your life. Jesus tells the man to go home. At home was his family. At home was his friends. Go and tell them the good news. Let them see the good news. But this man takes it upon himself. Takes it upon himself. He says what to the Lord with his actions? I'm not going home. Not just yet. There's no way I'm just going home. Look at me. Look at me. And the last thing he does is go home. What he does first is he goes elsewhere. He goes all over. Not home, not just yet. You see, it may not, I, you, you look at this story and you look at this man, he's made whole and, and maybe he feels like I may not have much. I, I may have lost most important things in my life. I may have wasted so much time already living the way that I was. I may not know all the things to say. I may not know how to lead people fully to this man, Jesus, who just healed me and made me whole. But, but I don't know if you caught this from the, the man from Gadarene who was demon-possessed by legions. Instead, he says, but I'm going to use what I got. I'm going to use what I got. 
I may not have various swords or daggers. I've been given just one. Just one. One. But I'll use it efficiently and I'll take it out. I'll take it out and I'll take out this one sword that has been given to me. And with this one sword that has been given to me, I'll go to 10 cities and I'll preach over all over these 10 cities. And that's, that's 10 different people groups that will hear my one, one, one story. One story is all I got. One encounter right now is all I have. One thing to say about myself and this Jesus that I ran into. That's all I'm holding on to right now. It's only one thing right now that I have that I could hold on to. But guess what? I know 10 nearby cities that I could tell this one thing to. I want you to get that. Affected by my one story. Affected by this one sword. It's what God has given. It's it's what this Jesus that I just met gave me. And it's more than enough. I will proclaim what, what he has done. And what happens to the crowds in the story? It says that the crowds, the crowds marvel. The crowds marvel by his story. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> they marvel by his story. Thank you, Lord. So good. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Let me just get comfortable real quick. Everyone's good? It's all good. It's all good. <clears throat> it's what God gave this man. And he took it. Everyone marvels by his one story. That's, there's a reason why I'm emphasizing that. I, I started to read this again, this passage, as I was getting ready for this message. And I said, well, well then what's our excuse? What's my excuse? I, I'm called to use what I got. And you're called to use what you got. What, what am I saying here today as I get into this message? What I'm saying is this. If you have one gift, if you have one talent, if you have one story, then take it to as many places as you can. Use it as often as you can. Don't hesitate. Don't make excuses. Don't wait for someone else. What is the Lord going to teach us? This, that you have it in you. So use what you got. See, uh, these are not days uh, to waste. And these are not days to make excuses. Uh, to live worrying in fear or to wait for someone else, use what you got. Use what you got. Uh, I, I, you should write this down. I wrote this as it was pressed on my heart. One of the greatest deceptions of the enemy that we come to believe. One of the, notice the word I'm using, deceptions. Or one of the greatest lies that we tell ourselves is this. It's that we don't have what it takes. How many of you have said to yourself, and you please, you do not have to raise your hand. I'm not trying to put any of you to shame. But how many of you have said this? I just don't have what it takes. Starting with me. I just don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. The, 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 <laughs> the demon-possessed man from, from Gadarene, you don't think? He was like, I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes. Everyone knows who I really am. Neither did the demoniac. 
But, but you see, he knew a Jesus that transformed him. And that was enough to tell the world around him. That Jesus now has authority to make one whole, to cast out devils, and to save one soul. It rhymes a little bit there. It wasn't planned, but, but, but notice what was enough for him. He, he was only given one thing, and it was enough for him. He would go around and marvel. Marvel is such an important word. He would marvel cities of the great wonders of this Jesus of Nazareth. This one known man for being demon-possessed. Listen, you may feel like you don't have what you need. You may feel like you don't have what you need. But I'm reminding you today that you have exactly what you need. And God gave us each what is needed for us to be used and effective on this side for his kingdom. Write this down. It's not up to us to receive what we need. It's not up to us to receive what we need. It's up, it's up to us to exercise what God has already given us. That's the problem with most people. They're sitting back and they're doing nothing because they're still waiting for things that they feel they need. And they still haven't exercised that which God has already given them. How can I give you what you feel you need? When you haven't been faithful to exercise what I've given you, use what you got. You with me? See where we're going? So where should you start to use what you got? Where should you start? Where do you think you should start? It's one word, actually. The answer is one word. It's, it's a, you know, I ask a question to trick, but it's all good and fun and games. I need your participation. Where would you start? I heard someone say some stuff. Lucy, what he has done, isn't that what um, the demoniac, I don't like calling him the demoniac, the ex-demoniac, isn't that what he did? What'd you say? Worship, good. What do you start? Pray, to use what you got. Pray. Where should you start? I will tell you, start by this. Start by saying yes to the Lord. Start by saying yes to the Lord. Let, let me ask you a question. What are the worst two words of Peter that are recorded in the Bible? What are the worst two words that are recorded by Peter in the Bible? I mean, Peter could have said a lot of crazy things, as we know. Peter could have done a lot of crazy things. But does anyone know the worst two words that ever came out of Peter's mouth? No, Lord, I can't do it, someone else said. In Acts chapter 10, verse 14, we see it. Betsy hit it on the head. Let me give you a little, a little summary of what's happening here. Peter is very hungry. He's on top of the rooftop. Jesus Christ has already resurrected. And what happens to Peter? He goes into a trance. The Lord puts him in a trance. And he gets this vision. And a blanket falls from heaven. And as it falls with four, with four corners and all kinds of wild beasts and animals are on top of the blanket. And the Lord tells Peter, rise up, eat it, kill and eat it. Eat everything that I'm showing you. Peter, in this dream, in this vision, in this trance, says, Lord, you know very well, me being a Jew, I am not accustomed to eating those things. None of that is kosher. I should not be eating any of that stuff. And then the Lord replies back to him in verse 14. Here, here, here's that whole conversation. Here's all of that happening in verse 14. It says, but Peter said, in one translation, it says, not so, Lord. In another translation, it says, no, Lord. In another translation, it says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done 
three times to Peter, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Did you, did you see the emphasis? How many times was it done? Three times to Peter. Why would Acts tell us that this was done three times? I think it's because the Lord had to show Peter. I think it's because three times the Lord was dealing with him. I believe it's because he had to set Peter straight until he got it. See, Peter's reply was a defiant, no, Lord. No, Lord. Though he was doing it for the sight of the law, doing it for the sight of his Jewish roots of no, I, I, I should not because that's, that's, that's not kosher. I should not eat that. But, but regardless of all the things around that, let's break down just these two words where he says to him, no, Lord. That's the main thing there. No, Lord. I, I want you to remember this. Until you don't lay it down and begin to answer yes to the Lord, you will not access the journey that he's prepared for you and witness the ways in which he could use you. It starts with, yes, Lord. Peter, if he would have continued to say no, he would have never seen the, the Holy Spirit fall and salvation fall in the house of Cornelius. But God, Jesus, needed a yes from Peter to go to the unclean Gentile. And to show him that he too can be saved. That he too could come to Jesus. Don't call these things unsavable anymore. If the Jew can be saved, the Gentile can be saved. Get up and eat. Go and serve me over there at, at, at Cornelius' house. <laughs> no, Lord. No, you better. I'm going to do it again and again and again until I hear a yes from you. May I suggest that what the Lord is trying to draw out from you is a yes in the midst of all of your no's. So you could finally use what you got. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that when Samuel was a boy, the Lord was calling him to himself. But Samuel didn't understand what was happening. Have you ever read that? The scripture says this. Now Samuel did not know yet or did not yet know the Lord. No was, was the word of the Lord revealed to him. <laughs> Here is young Samuel and he hears, Samuel. Samuel. And he gets up. Oh, uh, Eli, is that you? And Eli is sleeping on the other side. And Eli is his mentor. Eli is training him up. Him up. And, and here's young Samuel. And scripture says Samuel had not known the Lord yet. And had not known the word of the Lord revealed to him yet. Until finally, and that was about three times as well. So Samuel got it. Eli had to tell Samuel, when you hear the Lord call you again. I want you just to stay put, and I want you to answer back, speak, for your servant hears. See, what was Eli doing with Samuel? Eli was teaching young Samuel, in order to know the Lord, and for the word to be revealed to you, you must learn to say yes. Until you don't learn to say yes, how are you going to see fully who the Lord is? Until you don't learn to say yes, how will you fully receive his word? Next time he calls you, young Samuel, tell him yes. Tell him yes. Speak. Your servant hears. And, that, and then the, the whole story goes on. He calls him again. And, Sam, and young Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. And what does the Lord tell him? He tells him everything that he's going to do in his life. Everything. And he hears the Lord. He, gets, he begins to know the Lord personally. And he begins to get revelation of, of the word of the Lord over his life. But then in verse 19, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, tells us this about young Samuel. It says, so Samuel grew. 
I love that it says Samuel grew because it's not just talking about he grew old in his age. It's talking about he grew in his spirit. He grew in his maturity. He grew in his understanding of God. It wasn't just he grew in height. It's he grew in the spiritual things. And he says, and and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let with him, and let none of his words, listen to this, fall to the ground. <laughs> Can you imagine the Lord saying that about you? And so and so grew, and the Lord was with you, and let none of the words fall to the ground. <laughs> if I can just play a simple and yet vital role in your life today, here it is. I'll be the Eli to your Samuel. And what I'm telling you is this. Say yes to the Lord. Begin today. Just like Samuel, whose words would not fall to the ground, meaning that his gift would now never be wasted. Well, guess what? Neither will yours. Starts today. Use what you got. Whether it's like Peter, if it's a, if it's a word if it's, a, if it's a word to take to Cornelius' house, to usher in Pentecost for Gentile believers, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if it's like Samuel who will stand eventually before nations and before kings, the small and yet the powerful, all at the same time. Listen, the path that he's calling you to, the life that he's calling you for, the calling that you are to fulfill is never accomplished. Say never accomplished. It is never accomplished in hiding it, saving it for a better time, waiting for someone else to take you by the hand and walk you through it, or sitting on it because of laziness. The path that he's calling you to can never be accomplished if you're holding on to any of those things. Listen, you can be doing, you can be doing a thousand good things, but here's the question. Are you doing what the Lord has truly asked for you to do? You could be doing a thousand good things, but are you doing what the Lord is truly asking of you? I'm making you aware I'm, it, it, that it's your time for what? To use what you got. The Lord is dealing with some of our no's. No, all these no's are excuses, our justifications, our fears, our past, or our history, our family, our careers, our weaknesses. He's dealing with these things. Let's get into some scripture. In Exodus chapter 4, God shows Moses the ways in which he's going to use him. And the Lord, it's, it's such an easy, it's such an interesting story to read. The whole Bible, man, it's filled with these fascinating stories. But in Exodus 4, when you start to read the encounter between the Lord and Moses, you start to recognize that the Lord didn't need anything from Moses. All he needed was an obedient yes. Moses, all I need is an obedience, yes. But Moses, if you read carefully the scripture, <clears throat> what happens with Moses? Moses feels what? He feels unqualified. He feels unequipped. He, he feels, uh, and you could sense it all throughout the writing of scripture, he has a low self-esteem. This, this Moses was carrying all these things. Let, let's read chapter 4 of Exodus verse 10 and on. It says, 
Then Moses said to the Lord, just so you could see the things that Moses, let me ask you a question. If you're walking, you're walking up a mountain or on the hill and you see a bush or a tree that's on fire, yet it's not being consumed by the fire and then out of that tree, it begins to speak to you in an audible voice and he says, please take off your sandals for where you stand, it's on holy ground. I have some things that I want to tell you and how I want to use you. And think about that whole encounter and yet, while you're having an encounter with a tree that's burning, but yet it's not set on fire, and a voice that's coming from the tree who said is Yahweh, and it's telling you to take off your sandals for you stand on holy ground, and yet, yet you find strength. You're so filled with low self-esteem. You're filled with inadequacies. You're filled with all these things about you that you still can come before the Lord and say, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. He says in verse 10, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and I'm slow in tongue, he tells the Lord. I mean, you're talking to a tree that's not really burning, but yet burning, and a voice that's saying it's Yahweh who's telling you that you're in the holiness of God, and yet the, Moses stands before him and says, I just can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I don't have it in me. I have a problem with my speech. Don't you see? I need therapy. Don't you see that I'm not good? Don't you see that I need help? I'm not eloquent. I'm going to stand before a pharaoh, before kings. And I don't know how to speak like them. I don't know how to do it. I can't do this. Verse 11. So the Lord says to him, who has made your tongue? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. Is this good or what? What do you think, Moses? You're right. You know what? You know, forgive me for forever bringing up my insecurities before you. Forgive me. That's what he should have said. I'm just so insecure. But I'm sure that you can do that. That's what he probably should have said, right? Right from there, right? But no, Moses ain't done. Verse 13, he says, oh, my Lord. Please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He's basically saying, send someone else. Let someone else go instead of me. I'm sure that in the midst of this whole, these people in this land, look down there. I'm sure there's someone in my family. I'm sure there's someone else that you could use. Definitely not me. Use someone else. Verse 14, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord was kindled. Can you imagine that? I'm sure I've had moments where the anger of the Lord has been kindled against me. And it's for the one reason that he loves me. He loves Moses so much. He could have just said, you know what? Burn. You know what? Squish you. No. He's like, God, what is he going to get? I just need a yes from you. I'll tell you what, I'm going to take your brother and your brother's going to be next to you throughout this whole journey. Listen, I'll stop here in verse 14 for a moment because it's obvious that what God wanted in this passage was this. He was looking for a yes. And he was looking for a yes from Moses. And he was developing a yes to grow in Moses. See, Moses, don't worry about the things that you don't have control over. Please listen to this because I'm sure there's someone in here that feels in these days that you have no control. Hey, let me ask you, is 2020 the year of all years to remind you that you have no control? You went out and you voted. You have no control. 
You went out, you wore your mask. You have no control. I mean, this has been the year. No, we have no control. The Lord is reminding us, you're not in control. I'm just going to remind you guys on earth that you're not in control. Moses, don't worry about the things you have no control over. How about if the Lord tells you today, and he calls you by name, and he tells you, don't worry about the things you have no control over. How many of you are worrying about things that you have no control over? (laughs) Amen. But don't worry about the things you have no control over. Just know that I will give you what you need. Moses, use what you got. It may not seem like it's possible. It may not seem like a lot. None of it may make any sense from an earthly perspective. But trust me, just use what you got. Does that make sense to any of you? Maybe this will make sense. What else does God and Moses speak about? I'm going to rewind. Same chapter, verse 2. The Lord looks at Moses. The Lord speaks to Moses. And I love the Lord's sense of humor because he has one all over Scripture. What does the Lord Tell Moses, he says, what is that in your hand? And Moses is standing before the presence of the Lord. And guess what he has in his hand? A shepherd's staff. He's got this rod and this little wooden staff in his hand. A staff that would help him climb the mountains. A staff that would help him put the sheep back in order. Just a staff. Just a staff. And the Lord says to him, what is that in your hand? How about if the Lord looks at you today And he looks at you today right now, and he's speaking to your heart today, and it's so simple that all he's asking you is, what is it in your hand? And you'll be like, it's just a staff. Come on, seriously, how many of you have an equivalent to a staff? Like, what am I going to do with a staff? Spear at something? I don't know, what am I going to do with it? Nunchuck it at someone? Like, it's a staff, for goodness sake. What am I going to do, stand before Pharaoh and say, this is my staff? And I have a word for you. Like, it's a staff. It's nothing. It's insignificant. It's dumb if you really think about it. It's a staff. It's a piece of wood. It's a staff that he has in his hand. And the Lord says, what is it in your hand? And I feel like when he tells Moses, what is it in your hand? He's telling me some thousands of years later. He says, Rico, what is it in your hand? Speak it to me. What do you have in your hand? What is it? Because I'm going to show you what you have in your hand. Just that one thing is just enough. Just use what you got. So he says to him, he says, it's a staff. (laughs) Moses says, it's a staff? Like if God didn't know it was a staff. You see a sense of humor? I know it's a staff, Moses. It's the same reason I asked Adam and Eve, like, where were you? I know where he was. What's in your hand? A staff? I know it's a staff. I'm asking so you could think, like, do you see why I'm asking you? It's a staff. And he says what to him? Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. I'm running. I'm running. And Moses ran from it. Good. I'm running too. And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand. Catch it by the tail. I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that part. Thanks for making it into a snake. I'm not touching it by the tail. You promise that the head is going to stay over there if I grab it by the tail? (laughs) So he puts out his hand. He catches it. And it becomes a staff in his hand again. Is that enough for you? And look what the Lord tells him next. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I believe that this is what the Lord is saying. You should really memorize this. You may feel like what you got is just a little staff. You may feel like what you got 
is just a little staff. This may be the most important thing I say to you. I don't know. But what you fail to notice is this. It's not about what you don't have. I'm showing you how I can be glorified in what you already do have. Moses was like, I need a better tongue. And Yahweh was like, no, the little staff will work. Moses was like, I need an eloquent speaker, a much more educated person. He's like, nah, that little piece of wood will work. Because we live our lives because of influencers is what they're called, I'm guessing now. Because of the people that we sometimes don't even know that we're modeling our lives after them. We live our lives always thinking about what we don't have. How many of you live your lives always thinking about what you don't have? And you've, you haven't taken a moment to stop and truly recognize what you do have. Because you're so caught up in what you don't have that you can't live in the riches of what you do have. You said, if only I could have this, then that's when I'll be able to do that. Or that's when God would eventually start to do this. And the Lord says, no. It's until you don't learn how to be faithful and say, yes, Lord. And use what you got, you'll never see the potential of me glorifying myself in you and the ways that I could use you. You'll never see it. Stop living, let's stop living our lives always thinking about what we don't have and recognize that what the Lord may be showing us in this year that we have gone through is to show us how he can be glorified with what we already do have. I've recognized that I don't need a bigger church. I've recognized that I just need bigger men and women. That's what I've learned. That's what I've learned. I always thought I needed a bigger church. I just recognized I just need to get around bigger men and women. Use what you got. Use what you got. It's not about what you don't have, but how can God be glorified in what you already do have? Amen? So the question is this. Will you use what you got? We see in Judges, I'm going to keep going through some scripture if you don't mind. We see in Judges chapter 6 that Israel has been conquered for seven years. Seven years. I would say that's a long time. We've been conquered here for about what? Eight months, nine months. (laughs) Seven years. Conquered by their enemies for seven years, the Midianites. And the Lord called out to one man that he would eventually have to draw out a yes from this man. Anyone know his name? In Judges chapter 6, his name is Gideon. And in Judges 6, let's read the scripture real quick. Verse 12, look at this, lovely. It says, and the angel of the Lord appears to him. Him there is Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel says to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. There's a song that we sing. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's based on this encounter with the angel of the Lord and Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And then in verse 14, it says, the Lord turns to him and says, go in the might of yours. I love that. I love that 
the Lord tells him, go in the might of yours. Because if you really study this passage, you'll recognize that there's nothing about Gideon that feels like there's any might. But yet, the Lord has a way of saying, go in the might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Question. Verse 15. So he said to him, oh, my Lord. Who does that sound like? Moses. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Wait. How can I save Israel? There's a problem. Indeed, number two, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Number two, my clan, my family, my crew is the weakest. Number three, I am the least of my father's house. I'm, I'm the most insignificant in dad's house. And number four, oh, let's not get to number four yet. And then the Lord said to him, surely, Gideon, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as what? One man. I don't need an army. One man. And then he said to him, if now, here's number four. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. You know how many people live for a sign? Just show me a sign so I can know it's you that's talking to me. I'm like, is it not enough that I came from heaven? Is it not enough that I'm standing with before you in the wine press as you're crushing wheat on the floor? I'm standing, I'm talking to you. It is the Lord your God standing before you. Is this not enough? Do you want another sign? What do you want? What do you what? You want to flow? You want to levitate? What do you want to do? What, what is it? We know the story, right? What he asks him eventually, but that's not relative to what I want to share right now. I just want to pause here because there's the problem. Gideon's, Gideon's response, these four things are the problem. Number one, how can I save Israel? It's impossible. I can't do that. That's too much of a task for just one man. Number two, my clan is the weakest. What does he mean by that? I come from an insignificant family. My clan, my crew, back home, my village, eh, we're not, how can I say this, God? We're kind of like, we don't know how to fight. That's what he's saying. Like, there's some other clans that are warriors. But Gideon's like, "Eh, have you seen me? Have you seen my brothers? Have you seen my family? We are amongst the weakest. We're not really warriors. Definitely, you came to the wrong person. I think you got the wrong address. Number two. Number three, he says, what's the Lord? I'm the least in my father's house. Not only is my clan, my village weak, but number three, let's go a little bit deeper. Ready? My, in my very own family, amongst my siblings, my father's house, between my cousins and between my brothers, I have some sisters that will rough me up. He's like, I'm weak, man. Amongst, amongst all of, in my father's house, I am the least. He's basically saying, I'm the least qualified. I'm the least important. Look at me, you you find me here today, and what am I doing before you, Lord? I'm threshing wheat in the wine press. I'm nobody. I'm almost like a slave. I'm a servant. I'm nothing. And then the fourth thing that he messes up, and, and the Lord is drawing it out of him, he says, show me a sign that it's you who talk to me. What is the Lord going to reveal to him? I should be enough. I should be greater than any sign. These people that look for a sign and don't find God, What can a sign show you that God in his presence can't show you? Don't live looking for signs when you could live finding your God. He is the greatest sign that we could have. All right, let's get into what I want to make a point about here today with Gideon. If you know Gideon's story, you know he was left with nothing. You read on for sake of time, we're not going to do that. 
but he's left with nothing to defeat the Midianites that were conquering him and Israel for seven years. He had nothing to conquer them. But, can I say this? Yet, he had everything. <laughs> Ever felt, you feel like you have nothing? But yet, in feeling like you have nothing, I'm telling you before the presence of the Lord, yet yeah, you have everything. But I feel like I have nothing, yet you have everything. Because it wasn't about what he did not have. He learned to say yes and was faithful with what he did have. Come on, I, I can't urge you enough. Use what you got. See, I'll give you another example. How many of you have ever heard of David before he becomes a king? We all know of King David. But did you know who he was before he was King David? We look at David. And David only has five stones in his little bag that he would carry with him. Very cute little bag. I mean, his mother stitched it for him, hung it around his shoulder. And he has, I mean, it was adorable. It was an adorable little bag that David had. And five little rocks. You should have seen them. They were nice and polished. He took care of those five little rocks like they were his best friends. And he put them in his little pocket. There were five little stones in a bag. That's what David had. Around his waist, around his waist as he tied himself up there, he also had around his waist, guess what? A nice little slingshot. Listen to me. He had a nice little slingshot and five little stones in his beautiful bag. And yet the Lord only needed one stone to defeat Goliath. See, he did not need to train powerful warrior in Saul. If you know anything about this time before David becomes king, the most powerful, the most recognized, the most influential man on this earth was a man by the name of Saul, who was known as to be a warrior, so much so that they made him the first king over Israel. You know how serious Saul was? He was such a big man and tall man. It says that when he would stand up before the crowds, he was a shoulder, a breath over everyone. He had a head over everyone. He was big. He was strong. He was good looking. And he was a warrior. Every young man wanted to be like Saul. But you know what? The Lord didn't need trained powerful warrior in King Saul. And if you remember, King Saul at one point took off his armor and gave it to David and says, go, go. If you're going to go fight Goliath, wear my armor. Guess what else the Lord didn't need? The Lord didn't need what? Another man's strength. I don't need what is strength for him to be strength for you because I should be alone. I alone will be your protector and strength. Because if you go out there and be Goliath, you're going to constantly think that it was due to the armor of this man. But until you don't recognize that when you be Goliath, it's through the armor of this man. It's through the armor of God. All right? And that's what's happening here. He didn't need David's warrior brothers. If you know anything about David, his brothers were warriors. And they were there in the battlefield across from <clears throat> the battlefield with the armies of Israel. Number three, guess what else the Lord did not need? The Lord did not need the whole army of Israel. They were about to battle the Philistines. But guess what? He did not need the army of Israel. None of this, you should know this. Please know this. Please know this. Please know this. None of this was important to the Lord. None of this was of importance to the Lord. What he needed, please listen, was a humble shepherd boy who spent all of his days out in the field tending the flock and protecting them and delivering them from their enemies. He just needed that one humble little shepherd boy who had learned to say yes in the field, yes in the private, so then that way, that way he could use what he got in the public. I want you to please recognize this. The most insignificant man in the battlefield that day was David. Did you know that? When the Philistines were across the field, and the Israelites were over here, and um, I don't know what to use. And Goliath was in the middle of the field, swinging a sword, screaming at the at the at the Israelites, defying their armies, the uh, 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 talking bad about 
their God, and here he is. Little David comes out, and David was the most insig- David was not even part of the army yet. David was not mighty man yet, necessarily. He was the most insignificant man in the battlefield that day. David, you know what he was actually there for? Does anyone remember why David was there? He was not there to fight Goliath. Goliath, who picked the wrong day to go out to the field that day? Was it David or was it Goliath? You see, David went to the field that day to take what? Bread to his brothers who were going to war. Can you imagine David with his nice little cute bag with the five stones in it? And he also had a tray and he's running to his brothers. And he's like, hey guys, I really hope you live through this battle. We made you some bread. And he's handing out bread to his brothers. I want you just to understand this stuff for a moment. And in the middle of all this, he says, and who in the world does this giant think he is? He turned brave. Out of nowhere, I'm, there to, bro, I'm here to give you bread. And he looks like, and who does this guy think? He, he's looking up at him, right? Who does this giant think he is defying the armies of the Lord in the name of our God? The most insignificant man from, from, a, from a perspective of the world, from the army, from Saul's perspective, from everyone there, from the, gen, from the Philistines and from the Israelites, David was the most insignificant man. You know what, what else was the most insignificant thing there? Let's be honest. Does anyone know off the top of their head how much um, um, Goliath's shield or sword weighed? No, I think, I think the sword alone was like 150 pounds or something crazy like that. <laughs> something crazy. Or a shield was like 100. Can you imagine how strong and big you are for a shield itself to be that heavy? For a sword to, like I was massive. That, that's a significant sword. That's a significant shield. He was known as the greatest warrior. Goliath fought many battles. The most insignificant man in that battlefield was David. And I'm going to tell you this, and I'll dare to say it. The most insignificant weapon in that battlefield that day was the little slingshot that David would carry around his belt with his five little stones. Insignificant before a man. It is going to a gunfight with a knife. Insignificant, but I love that I'm stressing the word insignificant. See, what seemed to be the least on this day was actually the most. What seemed to be the weakest on this day was actually the strongest. See, it wasn't in the appearance of what he did not have. It was in David's inner yes and his faithfulness to use what he did have. I know that he has a shield. I know that he has a sword. I know that I've only fought lions and bears and never a giant like Goliath. But I will go before him today and I will cut off his head. I'm telling you that what I got is enough. There was a yes inside David. And David said what? I'll use what I got. So much so that when he took out his little slingshot and his little stone, the enemy began to mock him and said, am I some sort of dog that you come to me with sticks? (laughs) And he begins to make fun of David. And David looks at him and says, today your head is mine. What? Is because he was ready to use what he got. There was a yes in David. When everyone else was living in fear, saying, no, no. We're living in the days of yes, people, to rise up while everyone is over there saying, no, no. You keep saying no, but I'm going to get victory in the field because I've decided to say yes. And I'm going to use what I got. No, 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 yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. 
Your servant hears. Yes, Lord, speak to me. A warrior is what he's rising up. Warriors, warriors, warriors. You don't want to be a warrior? That's fine. No. But if you want to be a warrior, yes, Lord, I'll use what I got. I'll use what I got. Worship team, you could get comfortable up here already, but I'll use what I got. Use what you got. How many of you know the Lord is speaking to you and he's calling you to use what you got? He's calling you to something greater, something where there's a yes to be heard. There's an awesome story. Actually, we spoke about it a couple weeks ago. In, in the, not, on, not on the podium, but in conversation. I think it was in one of the little prayer groups we had here. And it's the story of Elijah and the widow. In 1 Kings chapter 17, it's such a powerful story. Elijah's hiding in the caves. Elijah's terrified for his life. The Lord sends the ravens to, to give him bread and so forth. And it's time for Elijah to stop running in the cave and saying no. The Lord was drawing out finally a yes from Elijah. And in verse 8 of 1 Kings chapter 17, I can't have you missed this. It says, and the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. And I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Verse 10, so he went, and as he arrived at the gates of this village, he saw a widow, listen to this, gathering sticks. And he asks the widow, would you please bring me a little water in my cup? In a cup, bring me some water. Kind of like what Jesus did to the Samaritan woman. Just, just can you just give me some water? Verse 11, and she was going to get it. So she was going to get him water in a cup. And he calls out to her again, what, a, what, a, what an annoyance this is, okay? What, a, what an annoyance this is. They, as she's going to get him water, he asks her again, would you please, look at this, would you, Bring me a bite of bread too. <laughs> hey, come on. You've already asked for water. Now you want bread. Don't you see I'm busy here? I'm gathering sticks, man. So she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. I only have a handful of flour left in a jar, a handful of flour. How much of you think a handful of flour is enough? A handful of flour is a little bit. It's insignificant. I have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. A little bit, just a little. I love this. Handful, little, what is it? What is it describing? It's describing insignificance. It's describing small. It's describing not enough. What, what is she really saying? I don't, I don't have enough. Or I don't have what it takes for me to give you bread. Okay? I don't have a single piece of cooking, a bread in the house, and I don't I only have a little bit of a handful of flour and I only have a little bit of cooking oil. Look what she says next. I was just gathering a few sticks. That's it. That's all I'm doing here. Leave me alone, dude. 
I'm just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. But look what she says next. And then my son and I will die. Not only does she not have enough, she's actually telling him, it's been a long time since we have been living, feeling like, like we don't have enough. Living like at any moment we're going to die. This has been a long time that we've been living like this. How, how many of us, it's been a long time since you've been living where you've starved yourself. You've, 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 you've starved yourself. Whether it's excuses, whatever it might be in your life, but you just starved yourself. How many of you know that God wants to do great things in your community, in your own house, within your own family, in your own workplace? He wants you to pioneer specific things. He wants you to be in the forefront of specific things. He wants you to be a voice in specific things. But all you've done throughout the years is, ah, I don't know. I've always felt that, but I don't feel like I'm ready. I've always felt that, but I felt like maybe until it grows a little bit more. I've always felt that, but maybe until I get a couple other people around me that kind of, I've always felt that, but I don't think I have enough money for it. I've always felt that, but, and you've just starved yourself for years. For years, you could have experienced the glory of the Lord through you, but you've given excuses to live in a famine, in a spiritual famine. I don't know. I don't know if I could really use what I got. Soon my son and I will die. Verse 13. But Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. This is awesome. Go ahead and do just what you said. But make but make a little bread for me first. Now this is daring. Like, you better, you better really make sure you're a prophet if you're gonna say this. You don't have enough, your son's dying? Okay, I know you really wanna feed him so he doesn't die today. But before you make any food for your dying son, do me a favor, make the food and bring it to me first. How many of you would think, man, that, that was very, um, Rude, selfish of Samuel, um, of Elijah, sorry. That was very inconsiderate, very insensitive of Elijah. She is a widow. Her husband already died. And now her son's dying and she has enough food to maybe allow him to live one more day. And yet you're telling her, don't be afraid. Cook it for me first. Now, I would say that... that that's not, that's not the heart of God. Are you sure about that? Are you sure we're reading scripture correctly? How about that's more the heart of God than, than anything else? Because what was the Lord really doing to this lady? What was he really doing to his household? Give me the bread first and then use what's left. We all know what's left. Guess what? Nothing. It's almost like sitting 5,000 people, which we know could be up to 20,000 people, and the Lord says, what do we have to eat? I saw a little lad. I'm going to read that scripture now in a moment. With five loaves of bread, two fish. Like, perfect. What do the disciples say? What do you mean perfect? 
That's not even enough for us to eat. He goes, no, no, no. That's perfect. Have them sit down in groups. And then when they were done eating, he says, pick up 12 baskets and every single one of you, you're going to stick your foot in your mouth now. Pick up the leftovers. Then nothing goes to waste. How dare Jesus say that in the New Testament? How dare Elijah say this in the Old Testament? Because both is the answer of heaven. Both are the answers, is the heart of God. He says, what's left to prepare, what's left over, prepare a meal for yourself and then for yourself. <laughs> serve me first. And then serve yourself and your son. She knows the answer. No, 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 you don't understand. If I make you a cake, if I make you some bread, I'm not going to have enough for me and my son. See, this widow thought, please listen to this, come on, because this is how I'm closing up. This widow thought, this is all I have. I would like for you to stretch out your hands here like this with me for a moment. Picture this widow. Picture this. Come on, what's in your hand right now, church? What's in your hand? You know God works like this? Look at your hand for a moment. If I were to drop a mustard seed in the palm of your hands, you probably wouldn't even be able to see it. But the Lord says a mustard seed is enough faith to move mountains. Though it's the smallest seed that I could put in your hand. She says, that's all I have. It's, it's just a little. And maybe you're here today and you feel like, yeah, last week you told me to, I'm on a mission you told me last week. You told me last week that I'm on a mission, but today, from last week, after you told me I'm on a mission, Pastor, you don't know what happened to me on Monday. You don't know what happened to me on Thursday. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know what, what, what I've gone through after you preached on a mission. And then today you're telling me that I'm on a mission, and on that mission I have to use what I got. And you take out your hand and say, well, that's all I have, huh? This is all you get. This is all I can find inside of me. See, this widow thought this. This is all. I have. But what was the Lord showing her? Come on. Well, guess what? That's all I need. How many of you feel like that's all I have? That's all I have. And the Lord just looked at you with love and your eyes are burning today. And he says, guess what? That's all I need. All I need is all you got. You think that I needed what you don't have? No. All I need is all you got. So use what you got. Use what you got because that's all I need. So what you do have, though it's, it's, it's in there. I know you can't see it, guys. But it's in there somewhere. What you do have, will you begin to use it? Hallelujah. You know what happens? Just for the sake of it, I'm going to keep reading. Verse 14 says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says There will always be flour, olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. 
What did she tell Elijah? Yes. I'll cook for you first. Yes. With all I got, I'll say yes. She did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family, listen, continued to eat for what? Not many hours. Many days. Verse 16, I highlighted this, and you should too. There was always enough. How many of you feel like what you, this is all I got, and I'm going to tell you that with all you got, that's always enough. There was always enough flour, always enough olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. When you learn to use what you got, then you'll be able to, to live with always having enough. Should I say that again? Because I feel like I put half of you to sleep already. When you learn to use what you got, then you'll be able to live with always having enough. Use what you got. I don't have time to get into this. But remember, as you go forward, there's three things that you do have, just in case you thought you don't have much. Number one, the Lord empowers you with his Holy Spirit. Come on, church, you got that. The Lord empowers you with the Holy Spirit. He makes you bold and he gives you gifts. He gives you the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Lord empowers you with the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Lord has given you his word. You have enough. The Lord has given you his word. This stuff right here is wisdom. It's gold. It's treasure. Every word on earth can fade away, but this word will remain forever. You have the word of the Lord that he's given you. Number two, if you feel like you don't have a lot. And number three, the Lord has put us in fellowship. Three things that I'm thankful for. He empowers me with the Holy Spirit. He gives me his word and he has put me amongst fellowship that I need. And if I have those three things in my life, then I'm okay and I will use what I got. John 6, 9, it says there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these among so many people? Oh, that, that's just enough. The question is, will you disciples execute and exercise with what you got. In Judges 15, 15, it says that Samson found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Of a donkey. Everyone say donkey. We're a very conservative and respectful church. Another church would have said another word, but a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he says that with that jawbone of a donkey, he reached out and he took it. And you know what he did with that jawbone of a donkey? He killed not one or 100. He killed 1,000 men with a jawbone of a donkey. Because that's all God needs. Just use what you got. Remember what I said about David. What seemed to be the least was actually the most. What seemed to be the weakest was actually the strongest. It wasn't in the appearance and what David and what you do not have. It was in David and it's in your inner yes to be faithful to use what you do have. I'm going to end with this verse. Actually, I'm going to end with the, with, with the passage that speaks of this verse. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, 
Few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things of this world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Use what you got. And that's what he's saying, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the things which are strong and mighty. All he needs is a yes and a faithfulness to use what you got. How many of you can say yes and amen? Can you stand with me? Hallelujah, Lord. You know every single one of us. You know what we have in our hands. David only had a slingshot and some five stones. When Samson had to fight a thousand enemies, he only had a jawbone of a donkey. When the disciples had to feed multitudes of people, that five pita breads and two fish. And you know what's beautiful? From a little, from a little young lad. All over scripture. All over scripture. It's these small things. It's the beginning things. These things that we've seem uh, we're just insignificant I want you to recognize today with every eye closed that we live in a world come on that has shown you how improper how insignificant how ridiculous our government is and yet he's put a remnant of people here that you may feel you don't have enough power. You may not know people that have maybe great positions. Maybe you don't feel like you have enough strength. All I do is vent on my social media platform because but you're coming to realize that it's not even about your social media platform. That's not the platform that God's given you. It's greater than it's greater than Twitter. If you don't think that God has something greater for you than Instagram, to tell about the goodness of the Lord, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, Though it's good to use those forms for those things, but if you don't think that God has given you a greater platform, the question is, is there a yes and is there a faithfulness in you to use what you got? Lord, this is all I have, Lord. And I hear the cry of heaven saying, great, because that's all I need. That's more than enough. And because of your faithfulness, you're going to have more than enough with all you got. Lord, I pray that this would become a revelation for someone hearing this today. 
that this would become a truth for someone. That someone would recognize, wait a minute, in my hands, it's just a staff. But wait until you see what that staff can do when you lift it up and the seas part in half. Wait until you see that you put it on the floor and it begins to eat the snakes of Pharaoh and his men. Wait until you see the things that I could do with just that little, that little staff. I'm just the least member of my family. Oh, wait until I show your big brothers what I could do in you. I'm just from a little community. I come with so much baggage, Lord. That's all I am. I'm a man that carries a lot of baggage. I'm a woman that carries a lot of baggage. This is all I got. The Lord says, what you got is all I need. Don't let the baggage carry you anymore. You thought you were carrying it, but it's been carrying you. Don't let your family carry you anymore. Don't let your past carry you anymore. Don't let your insecurities carry you anymore. Don't let all your excuses carry you, your fears carry you. Just take a step of faith. Say yes. Put it to work. Use what you got. Come on, how many of you right now are just open up before the presence of the Lord and surrender that to Him. Open up to the Lord and give it to Him. This is your gift. Your gift to do great things here, Lord. Come on, every single one of you knows what it is that we're talking about in your own life. I know what it is in my life. Trust me. It's the deepest parts of my being that cries out to myself. And every night that that thing cries out, the Lord knows that thing. And he's saying, Rigo, will you use that? Will you use what you got? Though you feel you're so insignificant, insecure? You feel like you don't have it in you? You feel like it's impossible? You feel like man won't understand you? Come on, I challenge you. Rigo, will you use what you got? Only you know what that thing is deep in you. This is all I have. Come on, give it to the Lord and say, Lord, speak. Here I am, your servant hears. My answer, Lord, is yes. My answer is yes. My answer is yes. Let a warrior arise with a slingshot in his hand and a stone in the slingshot before beasts, giants with shields and swords that weigh more than him. But what I have is enough. And because I am in Christ, I have more than enough and I will always have more than enough because I've been faithful to always use what I got. Come on, how many of you are there? How many of you right now are giving that? How many of you is that exploding inside? And you're going to take that step. You're not going to wait to have a meeting with me to start a new ministry. You're not going to wait to 
figure out whether this is your church home or you should leave and find another church home. Listen, you could be as religious as you want. Continue to be like that. You're not going to go anywhere. I'm just asking you, when the rooster crows, crows tomorrow, are you going to use what you got? Regardless if I'm there or not there, he's there or not there, we're there or not there, will you use what you got and shake the world on Monday and shake the world on Tuesday and shake it on Wednesday and Thursday and, and come back on Sunday and begin to testify of what the Lord did with what you got. Come on, I want to hear testimonies on Sundays. I want them to replace these, replace things. I want, oh, I want the words of the future to be the, the works of heaven here on earth. Use what you got. Come on, how many of you, the Lord is stirring that in you? Use what you got. Lord, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, we love you. and We thank you. and We praise you. We glorify you. Lord, though it might not seem like anything like much, like it's insignificant, the reality is, from your perspective, from your lens, it is the most powerful, most significant thing. The giant with his shield and the giant with his sword thought he was more powerful and more significant. But heaven said, no, the little shepherd boy that said yes to me in the secret with a stone and a slingshot, that is more powerful than the powers of this world. Watch what the foolish things will do to the things that are wise. Watch what the weak things will do to the things that are strong. And I pray that over this church. I pray that over our nests. I pray that over every family. I pray that we would be just that. People of yes, Lord, I hear you. And yes, Lord, I'm going to use. I'm going to cook it for you. And before I give this to anyone else, I'm going to first give it to you. Before I feed my children, I'm going to feed it. And I'm going to give it as an offering to you. Because it's yours. Even though it's little, it's yours. And she gave it to Elijah as we give it to the Lord. Lord, we love you today. We praise you today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our King. And together we say yes. Yes, and we mean it. When we say yes today, yes, yes. Sometimes we say amen behind every prayer. And we don't recognize that when you say amen, you're confessing, so be it. Yes. That's why I always pray yes and amen. I always end my prayers in Jesus' name I pray. Yes, and so be it. Yes, and amen. Yes, Lord. We're going to use what we got. Come on, give God some praise this morning. Work. 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 Work.